Hey everybody, on today's episode, I've got Reed Goosens and we're gonna be talking through the multifamily syndication business model. Welcome to the Property Management Mastermind Show with your host, Brad Larson. Brad owns one of the fastest growing property management companies in San Antonio, Texas. This podcast is for property managers by property managers. You'll hear from industry leading professionals on best practices, new ideas, success stories, and lessons learned. This is your opportunity to learn about the latest industry buzz surrounding property management, as well as tips and strategies to improve your business. Imagine a world where the phone doesn't ring, but tenant leads still get pre-qualified and scheduled. Where in-person showings get coordinated automatically in real time, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Where occupants and owners are automatically notified of showings and leasing reports. Or imagine, no one has to show your rentals and they get leased faster than ever, safely and securely. That's the world of Tenant Turner, Come learn more about our beautiful scheduling software and world-class customer support. Call us, 888-976-4638, or visit www.tenantturner.com. PestShare, a pest control amenity for your resident benefits program, starting at just $5 per door. You can give your residents the pest control coverage they need. PestShare will even pay for the expensive infestations like bedbugs and cockroaches. End the debate over who pays for pest control while PestShare turns an expense into added revenue. For more information, check out their website at pestshare.com forward slash property managers. Hey everybody, welcome to the Property Management Mastermind Podcast. I'm your host, Brad Larson. Now today's guest, I'm bringing on Reed Goosens. And so we're gonna bring him on in a few minutes and just wanna give you a quick rundown of who this gentleman is. Now he's in the multifamily space. He's been doing lots of syndications and he's built himself from scratch to be a multifamily syndicator. So his business model, they go out and buy multifamily properties, they raise capital, uh, they put the management company in place, they value add, Potentially, they flip some of these multifamilies. Potentially, they they long-term hold them. But it's a really neat perspective on how this all works and how it ties into our property management world and the residential space. Uh, of course, we do. a lot of us do multifamily. It's not just a, a thing for outsiders. A lot of us do HOAs, even short-term rentals. But it's a neat opportunity to look at him and what they do in comparison to some of the big names that are out there doing it already. And I do think it's a good conversation because there are some insights into what's going to happen in the crystal ball world coming up and how we can tie in as managers and providing exceptional service for our clients. So without further ado, without further ado, I'm going to bring on Reed and we'll have a really good chat. Hey, Reed, thanks for coming on. Glad you could join us today at the Property Management Mastermind podcast. Wanted to introduce you a little bit. We heard about who you are, what you are in my little monologue in the beginning, but let's go ahead and give you a few minutes to introduce yourself. Go ahead. Thanks, Brad. Uh, yeah, for those listeners who, um, you know, thanks for having me on the show. For those listeners who don't know who I am, my name is Reed Goosens. I 
sort of my shtick is I moved to the US about uh, a decade ago to chase a girl. That girl became my wife and uh, I wanted to live in New York City for a period of time. I don't live in New York City anymore. I live in Los Angeles. Um, and, and in that time, I, I came here without a without a job and um, my background is in structural engineering. And I bought my first property for 38000 bucks. And uh, fast forward a decade later, I'm, uh, I now syndicate large multi-million dollar properties across the US. I have a company called RSM Property Group and we have about 650 million of assets under management. Uh, we all do it through the the, the lens of, of real estate syndication, which I'm sure we're going to talk a lot about. And there's been a lot of journeys and tales and stories and you know things that I can bestow upon your listeners in terms of how I built you know built it from nothing. And I don't come on here to brag. I come on here to sort of inspire. Say, if an Aussie can move halfway across the globe, then then so can uh, and achieve financial freedom. Then so can the average American. So. We're starting to see more of this in our space. And the reason why I want to bring you on is to kind of learn more a bit about it. Mm -hmm. uh, and then how property management companies out there can get involved. They can get involved as principals. They can get involved as managers. They can get involved as both, right? And at the end of the day, there's a really good opportunity here because I think there's more and more of this going to become more prevalent. And there's a couple different reasons, um, mostly because a lot of the investors are cash heavy and time poor. Mm -hmm. So they have lots of cash to invest, but they don't have the expertise or the time to try and chase those single family homes and to go buy a $5 million, $25 million multifamily complex is very daunting. So the real estate syndication opportunity is quite real and it's tried and true. And so I think you're going to see more and more of that. So that's kind of why I brought you on because I want to really dive into it a little bit um, and tell me kind of how you work this and how does it work for an investor, kind of tell me what you do and how it all works together. Go ahead. Yep. So the best analogy I've got is think of a Boeing 747, right? And take if I was to go hire that by myself to take it from Los Angeles to New York City, it would cost me as an individual a lot of freaking money, right? But I can go, in that analogy, I can go split it up the cost. So there's a captain and co-pilot, which would be your, your, your principals or the sponsors of the deal. You'd have first class, which would be your general partnership group, which may be involved with people who brought the deal together, help raise money, maybe help operate the deal. And then in the back and coach, you have all the limited partners. So all these limited partners want to be involved in this plane of getting from point A to point B, but they don't, they can't afford to take it down themselves. So they, they just want to buy the seat and they want to enjoy the in-flight entertainment. And for doing that, they can get from point A to point B, who in this case happens to be growing their wealth and growing their, you know, the nest egg uh, with very little, little, little money uh, in, in retrospect of, of the big Boeing 747, but they still get to participate. And that's the beauty of syndication. So we're pooling everyone's money together, going down and taking down a bigger asset that maybe individually we couldn't do, do it uh, as individuals, but we can do it as a group. So that's sort of the analogy around it. So your services, I mean, you are helping put together syndications. Are you coaching people on how to do this or are you doing more of like turnkey syndication opportunities? Yes. So I used to coach. Now I only, you know, I run a full-time real estate investment firm. We're chasing deals across the country. You know, when you're running everything from asset management to construction management to acquisitions to depositions, you know, we don't, I don't have time to coach anymore. Um, so yeah, right now it's all, we, we, we you know, we, we're currently looking to buy four to five deals a year. We're looking every year to add about a hundred million AUM assets under management for those people um, who, who aren't familiar with the word AUM. And yeah, we, as again, we, we probably, we're a group that as I said does three to five deals a year. So we're, we're backing in per deal about 25, 20 to $25 million per deal. We're currently doing a deal right now in, in uh, Tempe, Arizona, which is going to be about a $22 million deal. And we're looking, we're raising about $10 million for that. Uh, and we're raising that from investors as we speak. And you know, we'll, we'll, we'll go off and 
close on that deal at the end of March, and then we'll look for the next one for, for this calendar year. Yeah, lots goes into that. So everyone talks about the tertiary markets, right? There's a there's a big key word that's being flown uh, around quite a bit. Any sort of like single family investment, multifamily investment, they're looking for these little markets that are feeding into the bigger markets that are very lucrative, very solid, and then up and coming. And there's a, there's a real need for housing mm-hmm. and quality housing. Mm-hmm. And so these places are where people want to live. They're, they're, you know, they're almost like an, it's another term called the suburbs, right? It used to be called the suburbs, and now they want to rename it to a tertiary market, <laughs> like they're super smart or saying something different. But it, it really does hold true. I mean, the further you go out from any big metro, uh, the more desirable or new or fancy or any of those places where there's opportunity for growth. I mean, you have opportunity to build brand new. And of course, you can go like the, uh, the, the mushroom effect and turn around, go back into the major market where you ever you are, whatever, I mean, versus trying to go outside of it and rebuild from scratch, you know, do a whole new value prop, you know, value add type of a uh, multifamily complex. Now, what you're looking for is is big deals, like 25 million doing four, five, six a year, whatever you can get your hands on. And so as an investor, there are some steps people have to go through, uh, meaning that you have to get them to be a uh, uh qualified investor, if you would, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, you have to give them a PPM. Mm-hmm. And so kind of talk us through some of that as like, you're speaking to us like we're kindergartners yep. and we know nothing, but that that's an easy way to say it. So talk us through, you know, what your screening process is for some of these investors that want to put money in. And, and I'll just answer to your, your first statement you made in terms of affordable housing, right? The, the big underlying thing that we believe, we, we fundamentally believe in is affordable housing here in the US. And, and so we look for secondary not necessarily tertiary market, but secondary market. So you may, you know, you've got the the New York, the LA's, the San Francisco's of the world. But then we look at the Phoenixes, the Central Texas, the, you know, this, the Greenville, South Carolina's where um, we, we want to try and provide housing in these in these markets where the average person who earns fifty to sixty thousand dollars a year wants to pay fifteen hundred dollars in rent, right? They're not going to ever be an, a, a, an owner of a house because you know, just let's heaven forbid we're all, you know, I think the home ownership rates at the lowest it's been in 50 odd years. Uh, and, and people can't afford, they want to live still close to cool things, but they can't afford maybe the houses in those areas. That's where, you know, quote unquote, affordable housing is. And we sort of really target that sort of blue to tan collar type of um, type of renter, right? So that being said, that that's the sort of the, the, the value adds story of, of the, the investment thesis. In terms of how we Look for investors to to invest with us. We we only can allow accredited investors, and there's the SEC releases, um, you know, rules and regulations around what who, who qualifies and who does not, and how you can raise that money. So, and I'm going to look at a little technical here, but you know, there's there's two ways to raise money under Regulation D for for da- for dog, and that Regulation D I think came out back in the 1933, which allowed people to invest into private companies directly, right, without going public because public going public costs a lot of bloody money, right? But there's still a lot of businesses out there that need funding. So the Regulation D was formed. Uh, under that preview of Regulation D, there's 506B for Bravo and then 506C for Charlie. Again, I'm not a lawyer, but I know a little bit about this. 506B is you cannot solicit. You can't advertise to online. I can't you know, stand on top of a rooftop and yell out and get some random walking along the street to come and invest in my deal. I've got to have a pre-existing relationship with those, with those folks. Now, for doing that, I'm allowed to to have up to 35 non-accredited investors. Accredited investors mean you earn $200,000 or more a year individually, or you're worth a million dollars or more 
excluding your primary residence. Anyone, if you don't meet that, you're then considered uh, a you know, non-accredited investor, but you have to meet certain rules in terms of understanding a sophisticated investor, understanding what you're investing in. In our, in our terms, it happens to be multifamily. So that's 506B for Bravo. 506C for Charlie means I can go out and you know bang my drum and advertise online and do Facebook ads and do funnels and all that sort of stuff, but I can only accept accredited investors. And that's just the way the SEC has set itself up to say, in general, someone who's earning $200,000 a year or more, or they are worth a million bucks or more a year, can you know are accredited. So if you know, not, don't want to be doomsday, but if a deal goes bad, they're going to be okay financially, right? They're not they're not going to wipe themselves out. And, and the SEC is really trying to protect you know loan sharks, you know swindling grannies for their last penny. So there's two buckets: accredited, non-accredited, five or six B, five or six C, depending on which which one the sponsor will choose. Five or six B meaning you cannot advertise. It has to be a pre-existing relationship. 506C means you might be scrolling on your internet, you know, on Facebook or Instagram, and you see ads pop up. That would be a 506C deal, which means only accredited investors can can uh, can apply. That's good stuff. Good explanation there, uh, Doctor Lawyer Goosens. That's pretty good, <laughs> you know, because some of that's pretty technical, man. So it gets confusing, and you did it well, especially with a phonetic alphabet, because you start hearing these Bs and Cs and Ds and like, what did he say? A B? What? You know, it's just get very confusing because obviously a lot of our clients would probably fit into that accredited investor role. I mean, there's there's reluctant landlords, but let's say half of the clients we work with would fit into that realm because they're, mm-hmm. it, the homes that we manage for them are second, third, tenth, you know, their twentieth uh, investment property homes and or multifamily complexes. So they're they are going to fit into that role and. We get often asked the question, what more can I do? What more do you have? Do you have any good deals out there, right? Everybody, if you're in real estate, you hear that from everybody that you bump into. Hey, if you got any good deals, let me know, right? And and so this is where we can go to them and say, look, um, this is a, this is a guy, this is a, an organization that can steer you in the right direction in potentially investing some of your money. Now, how we would benefit from that would be one, a good referral, right? It, it makes our investors happy. But two, I'm sure there's potentially opportunities for management. Now, that, that was one thing I want to talk to you about because this is a property management podcast. So are there opportunities in syndications for third-party property managers to come in and be a part of this? 100%. So we use across the country. So we're in Central Texas, Arizona, and the Carolinas. Um, we use in individual areas, we use third-party property management teams who are focused on multi large multifamily, right? Um, I can talk a lot about the ins and outs of hiring a good property manager. I've fired property managers in the past. And no offense to anyone listening to this show, you know, the old saying is uh, you never love your property manager, right? You always want to be able to do it slightly better yourself. And I know groups like myself, they get to a certain level and they start bringing property management in-house. But, you know, early on when we're just growing, we need the local expertise. So we are partnering up with property uh, property management companies like CalCap in Arizona or Roscoe Property Management in Central Texas or Eastland Property Management in um, in Greenville, South Carolina. You can look up all these all these folks. Um, they, they, they've got websites and all that sort of stuff. But we as an operator, we try to look for the best group, boots on the ground, if we don't have boots on the ground already. But really, Look, how's that culture? What are they? How are they attracting the right talent? Because what makes or breaks a deal, Brad, is the bums in the seats on the property. So when you think about uh, these large multifamily properties, you think there's a leasing center, right? When you walk into the leasing center, someone's going to greet you. Well, they're the leasing consultant. You're also going to have a property, the head property manager, having the right 
company, third party that is, that attracts these good employees is very paramount to our success at RSN, right? And so we constantly are in looking for for good property management teams all over the country in certain markets we may not be in because we also use them as a litmus test. You know, we might say, hey, Eastland, we're looking at a deal down the street. Uh, we already got two deals with you. And nine times out of 10, those guys are going to be like, I actually used to manage that deal, you know, 15 years ago. I know that deal. I know the ins and outs of that deal. I know where the skeletons are hid. So we actually also use them like a partner to, to advise us in a right way in order to when we go out and make an investment decision. And we do that across, again, the multiple markets that we're in. Uh, and that's something you can't ever just go out and buy yourself, right? You, you need that local expertise as you're getting used to a market. So it's it's very, very paramount to partner up with the right property management team in the right market so you can all be successful together. No, good answer. So one of the first things I want to bring up, and it might be a touchy subject, it might mm -hmm. be like, hey, you know, don't lump me in with that that group over there, but let's address the whole Grant Cardone phenomena, right? Mm -hmm. And so I bring that up because when you start talking multifamily, you start talking syndications, I don't know of a bigger name out there that's made a name for himself, right, wrong, or other, you love him, you hate him, whatever. Uh, I just want you to maybe address that, kind of give me a few minutes on, you know, that whole phenomenon and what you do as well. Yeah, look, I think the big thing has, if you look at the the brass tacks of what's happened since 2012, right, Grant has done a great job. He's a salesman. He's, he's you know, as he said, love, hate him, whatever. Uh, um, I unfortunately had to unfollow him. He was just too 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 big for me. But 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 I appreciate what he's done uh, in terms of his his story. But in general, if you break it down to what has actually <clears throat> happened in the industry, 2012, the Jobs Act changed, and that allowed people to invest directly into commercial real estate deals, specifically um, in and around the country. So that remember that five or six C I was talking about earlier. Well, we could now advertise online. Right, that's where Grant comes and he's, he's uses his platform and his, his his awesome energy to attract different people. Well, I'm doing something similar, but just on a smaller scale. Right, I want to get eyeballs on who we are, but it comes from the the you know back in the day deals were made in the old boys club. Right, back in the the, the country club, and no no one was you know the, the average public didn't get the ability to invest directly into some great multifamily deals or great commercial real estate. Well, that all changed in 2012. Then, if you look at history, you you see that there was all these a massive explosion of crowdfunding websites that came out on, online, right? And you, you think of the realty moguls of the world, um, you know, there's what, Fundrise, there's, you know, there's a list of them. There was a lot back in the day, then they all sort of twitched, you know, went away. And now there's only a couple that still really, really exist. And they act as a sort of a link between the sponsor like myself and the retail investor. And you can go and invest on those, you know, directly with those folks as well. And they're, they're all focused on getting eyeballs from social media onto commercial real estate deals. The third option is that you come directly to a sponsor like myself. So I have, I might not have as powerful platform as Grant or as Realty Mogul, but I do have a, a small platform through my podcast and you know, writing books and being on this podcast. And that allows me to attract investors directly into my deal. But it all started with that 2012 Jobs Act. So I do, truly do believe it's put the power back into people's hands of where they put their money. And so you talk about the syndication and, and the Grant Cardones of the world, you know, you look at the positive side of it where I also invest passively in other people's deals, right? Because I can choose where I put my own money. And that's the that's the that's the pure the purely the, the the power of this law that changed because it gives us choice as investors. Where prior to that, you may not have even heard about the 250 unit deal that I've got going because 
you weren't in the the the, the country club shaking hands in, in the sauna room. You know what I mean? So it just completely changed the way we invest, and I think that's only for the benefit of of, of the of the public. Yeah, we have a very similar thing with a, a large company in our industry, Renters Warehouse. They started doing radio ads quite mm-hmm. a bit on third party property management, and they're doing radio ads. They spent millions upon millions for radio ads in these big markets. And what that did is it raised awareness because people would realize, well, what is this property management thing? And then go Google. And that's where, you know, 20 of 50 other property management companies would pop up on their search and they would start calling around. But a lot of times they heard about it via radio ads uh, through that. So it raised awareness. Now, I think that's a good thing overall, uh, especially like what you're doing because it gives people an alternative. And what I want to do, backing up a hair, Let's go talk about the, the property management companies. Let's do a little bit of a post-mortem. So mm-hmm. let's talk about the service levels they provided. Let's talk about a potential lesson learned for my peers out there who are listening to this. We want to do a good job. We want to provide exceptional service to our clients, such as such as what you guys are doing in the multifamily space or any of the investors that we work with. What were some of the things, if you remember, that didn't quite meet your needs as a principal, an investor of this multifamily operation, and how could the management company have done better? So let's mm. let's maybe give us a few lessons learned out of that. So everyone listening will say, well, you know what? He's right. I should have done better at communication. You know, I should have done better at hiring. I should have done better at this. I mean, anything top of your mind that you want to tell everybody in like a yeah. post-mortem event? Solve your communication problems and save an hour a day, every day with CompanyCam. CompanyCam is a visual first job site communication app that allows you to have all of your properties right in your pocket. CompanyCam automatically organizes unlimited property photos by date, time, and location while easily creating and sending reports to renters and owners to save time and money. Keep vendors and clients up to date on property projects from start to finish with live project timelines. Every project, photo, video, and conversation all within one app company cam visit companycam.com and make your life easier today look property management is a thank a thankless game right both in on the single family resi side and also on the multi-family side it, it is in particular if you're in you know affordable housing you know you're gonna get some rough tenants that come through and you deal with a lot of crap uh, let's, let's 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 call a spade a spade and i appreciate that but what i found is the hardest part of any business and property management and why I haven't got into the space myself is that at the end of the day, you're a HR company, right? You, you know, I, on my books, I pay for the payroll, I pay the property management fees, and I pay all to do with, with running my assets. So really the property management as a business, they don't have really a lot of overhead because I'm paying their staff, right? Which is fine because that's the, that's the nature of the business. But then I want them focused purely on making sure they're getting the right, attracting the right type of talent, right? I mentioned earlier, you can make or break a deal by the type of property management and the type of bum you get in the seat, right? I know that in recent years, we've had tech service guys move jobs because labor is really hard to come by and they will go and move for two, three bucks an hour more, right? So we're looking at our payroll and saying, well, I don't want to lose that good guy or that good gal because they want to go work somewhere else. How do we make it better for them? Well, there's only so much I can do as a, as an owner, right? Because they're not my directly my employees. They work for me. They work for my my property, but I, they're, they're employed by someone else. So it's really important to me, and I take it very seriously. The culture within a cup within a property management management company. I remember when I first got started in the industry. I used a, a company in Central Texas, and you know, not not to be named. And I used to always think of them like 
they're like a 1995 Nissan Altima, right? It got me from point A to point B. It was fine. But as I as my portfolio grew to over 1,000, over 2,000, I needed that BMW with seat warmers. I needed the extras because I needed to also service my investors. And my investors needed a type of reporting that was on time, a type of management in terms of investor distributions that was happening on time. And that mattered to me as my brand. So who I chose as the property management, even though they were not, you know, they weren't RSN, but they were still partnering up with us to produce, you know, a really great investment opportunity. And it takes both sides of the coin. It takes us as asset management and, and you know, the sponsor, but also it takes the property management as well. And so making sure that, that the, the property management company had the right back of house, you know, they had a, a, they had a CFO, they had the right reporting, they had an accounting team, they had the right regional managers and the regional managers being not too spread too thinly across 15 deals. Like, you know, I, I remember talking with a, a company out in Central Texas now, they have a limit of five to seven assets per regional manager because then they can then focus on the nuances that it takes to run these larger assets. I don't want to see someone who's a regional manager who has 1,500 units under her his or her preview. No, that's too much. I need you to be capped at 1,000 or less than 1,000 so I know as an owner I'm getting the right attention. So I, hope, I don't know if that answers some of your questions, but there's a lot of lessons learned along the way. And as I grow as a, as a syndication real estate company, I needed that. That, that BMW with seat warmers and, and, and the, the Nissan Altima just ultimately just didn't cut it for us. And it was stuff like culture. It was stuff like back of house stuff. It was stuff like how much region, how much, you know, workload the regionals were getting and they felt overwhelmed. So all of that's really, really important uh, as, it, as, as I go out and tell my investors, hey, come and invest with RSN because we're partnering up with the best property management companies. We believe in the region. And that's a big part of the innovation side, just like you mentioned, uh, and also seeing that there there is a limit of what people can oversee. Two good points to kind of kind of recircle back on is making sure that you're you know staffing appropriately to provide exceptional service and innovating every which way you can to make sure that you keep those people. And I hate that term in culture, but. I, you know, all my fans are or not fans. I don't have any fans. My, my fan is my dad and that's it. But um, the, the listeners out there, they know that I say culture as like a dirty word because it just sounds like something you grow in a Petri dish. However, environment is something that I firmly believe in. So if the working environment is hostile or just really negative uh, or the people involved are negative, that's going to create a it's, it's just it's just to create a, a spinning vacuum of suck. And mm -hmm. so we want to avoid that and make sure we get the right people. Easier said than done, right? We can go on and on about, you know, how do you create that, you know, all this other junk. But take it for what it's worth on the face value as you mentioned that, hey, it, the company has to understand that the asset is very important and they have to have the right means to oversee it and allow it to grow. So obviously you're in Los Angeles, I can hear sirens. So hopefully <laughs> next thing you know, you're going to get kicked. The door's going to get kicked in with a raid and who knows what's going to happen. Hey, that's some of my properties. Uh, yeah. Wrong state. <laughs> oh, right, right. Yeah. So you also have a podcast and you do some books. Mm -hmm, so I want mm -hmm. you, I want to hear a little bit more about that because people are going to be craving some more information about the syndication sure. ideas because one, they may want to be getting involved or two, positioning themselves to get involved as a third party property management system. Yep. 
Yep. So uh, behind me, if you're watching uh, the video, Investing in the US is the book, uh, The Ultimate Guide to US Real Estate. The, the, the podcast is called the exact same thing, Investing in the US. Just search my name, Reed Goosens. I've been doing that since 2014. I think we've got over you know, 400 episodes, uh, weekly podcast that comes out. Uh, and we just interview, you know, historically, it was about my journey coming to the United States and, you know, learning all the things, whether you're international or not, you know, you still I, you still got to go through a learning curve as becoming uh, a master of the craft when it comes to real estate investing. But today we talk a lot about people's journeys in, in how they built companies from scratch all in around real estate and you know, obviously other some we, we sometimes get some startups of tech uh, tech companies and all that sort of stuff. But in general, you know, the podcast is a quite valuable place to to provide content. Um, and it's just going back to one thing you mentioned earlier about the Grant Cardone and 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 you know the the the, the access to investors, the reason why you know, Grant does what he does and what I do what I do is to try and educate the investor. And that's what a sponsor is, is there to do about what we do, right? So if I don't go do a good job of educating and getting to know me and how I think in my investment thesis, well, the way I do that is through podcasting, is through writing books. And it helps get bridge the gap and shrink the time you get to know me to build that trust to then ultimately help you invest with me quicker. So, podcasting, all this other good stuff is really where you can access um, all, all my stuff. You can also he- head over to reedgoosens.com. That's R-E-E-D-G-O-O-S-S-E-N-S.com. And that's where all the educational stuff is. And then you, it will link you to uh, investment stuff as well at RSM Property Group. So, yeah. Cool. Let's talk numbers. All right. You ready for this? Mm-hmm. Let's talk. Talk us through one of your biggest wins. Like give us a return on investment, give us a sales price, give us an investor put in 10 cents and he made 10 billion. I mean, something like that. I want to hear, give me, give me your, one of your studs and you know, yeah. the, not the studs and duds. Just give me one of the studs that you remember just because to get people understanding that, Hey, this is a pretty good opportunity. I'd like to hear one of the wins. Sure. Granted, you're going to have potential losses. This is not all roses and rainbows, mm-hmm. but talk me through one of the big wins. Probably the biggest win we've had to date was an asset we bought back in 2018 in Austin, Texas. It was built in 2004. Initially, that asset, um, it's if you, if you know anything about Austin, uh, has um, expanding clay soils, right? So it had a lot of foundation issues, but it's still, by the bones, it was built in the early 2000s, which means it wasn't built in the 70s. As a structural engineer, I got really comfortable with that. And I said, look, this is just a maintenance problem. You know, we, you know, it's the old geeky thing they say is you can't avoid, you avoid death, taxes, or expanding soils as an engineer. But no, no one really laughs at that joke, but anyway. Um, it was always something you have to, to deal with. And we bought that property for $36 million. We raised at the time, I think, $15.5 million, And then we sold it two and a half years, late, two and a half years later for over $65 million. Um, so uh, we made it, uh, we doubled people's money um, in, a, in a very short period of time. I would have kept the asset because it was just such a good boned, you know, besides the soils issue, it was just well located in, in, in a good area. Um, and still had a lot more to give. So yeah, that was one example that we did phenomenally well on um, in uh, in recent times. That's good stuff. Everyone likes to hear that um, because the 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 value add is a thing. People always say go in and you make it better and then you flip it. Well, that's what you did. And so that's really neat to hear because um, you, you weren't bragging. You weren't like, oh, we, you know, I made 437% on their return. You know, it was, it was, you're very conservative in your numbers. And I, I'm sure when you get down to like the, the actual written 
this is what we did. This is where we started. And, you know, the numbers, they turn out pretty, pretty good, I, I'm imagining, because yeah. just in here in the double the sales price, I mean, geez, that was fantastic. Yeah, no, and, and we're always a group that says that we're going to try and double people's money in a, in a five to seven year time period. If we do that quicker, that's just gravy. And that was a that was a deal that we did that in. I think less than thirty six months, we doubled people's money. That's 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 a very outlier. Um, but but middle of the road is you know five to seven years we double people's money. You know we buy it and double it and you know get move on down the road. So yeah, pull your crystal ball out. You ready for this? Okay, mm-hmm. so. Do you see multifamily syndications gaining in popularity and traction, staying the same or waning? Um, I think it's a very good question. If I gunned ahead, I don't think it's going to, the rate of popularity won't get, won't continue what we've seen over the last five to six years. I think it's just more going to plateau. I don't think it's going to lose popularity because, again, the fundamentals of multifamily real estate are there. It's affordable. You know, people need a you know, shelter. We've, we've seen that through COVID. Shelter and food are the two most important things. Um, so if you compare it to other asset classes, self-storage, retail, hotels, it is it is the bell of the ball in terms of how well it performed during COVID. Um, but, but moving forward, we've also seen a tr- crazy amount of money into the space, which has compressed cap rates r- ridiculously. And now pricing of some multifamily is really like, Oof, it takes, you know, you've got to, got to take a shot of whiskey to, to sort of, you know, swallow that. Um, so I don't know if, but, but in, at the same time, rents have also gone up, right? And continue to go up. So, you know, do I see rents coming down 40%? No. So do I see multifamily prices coming down 40%? No, they may, they may soften a little bit, may plateau. But, but in general, I don't, I see the, the fundamentals of multifamily real estate being extremely strong because, you know, the, the, just the need for affordable housing is still, it's an ever-growing issue across every single city in the United States and around the globe. So, you know, there's not there's not been one time in, in history where everyone's not whinging and moaning about multi, uh, about affordability of housing. So, <laughs> you know, you sort of point to me somewhere in history where everyone's like, oh, affordability, affordability is not an issue. We're going to continue to have that moving forward. And, you know, with, with the rising inflation uh, issues and, you know, cost of living uh, and, and the cost of going out and buying a new house uh, with interest rates being at five, seven, five to six, seven percent. Yeah, not many people are, are getting into new houses. This, you know, so th- thus people are then uh, renting for longer. So, yeah. Yeah. Follow the, uh, the, follow the population, as they say. So where the people are going, that's where the multifamilies are going to be needed. And I agree with all your points, especially the cap rates being compressed just because the prices are raising. Rents are not going to go down. And what we're going to see more of is more of a renters type of a nation where it's, it's a thing. I mean, people, as you get into these apartment complexes, I think a lot of people are looking for amenities. Correct. And that's one of the big things they're looking for in renting any sort of space, no matter what it is, single family, multifamily, whatever it is. Uh, if you have a gym and a dry cleaning and a restaurant and a coffee place and a dog pool. park and all the yep. other stuff, that, a pool, that, you know, why go anywhere else? Why get in your car and go drive to a gym? Why get in and, you know, go to a pool somewhere? Or, you know, you have your dog right there, everything right there. Amenities, you get it. I mean, I could talk on about it, but mm-hmm. that's really what's going to make people like apartment complexes because your competition in the apartment world is actually the single family home world. Mm-hmm. We are sort of competing, but we're sort of not. It's a different animal altogether. You know, our applications are, you know, five to 10 per home that we advertise. So they're clearly very popular. 
Um, but I do think there's there's the amenities are dragging people your way. Now, here's one thing we've always said. We always want to thank the multifamily sector because you end up training our tenants. Right. And so what I mean by that is the tenants that come in and rent from you guys in a multifamily world, uh, you, they've been trained to pay for this fee. They pay for that fee. They pay for the other fee. And so when we put our uh, lease requirements in front of them. They're like, oh yeah, I'm already used to doing that. I'm already, I've seen this before. This is not a new thing. My apartment complex has already did that. They charge me a pet fee. They charge whatever. And so a lot of times I tell people, if you want to understand where the fee bases are, where, where the base of our fees come from, all of it's coming from the multifamily. Mm-hmm. Like we are five, 10 years behind what y'all are doing. And we're starting to see that now. And one specific example I'll give you, and that we've talked a lot about this on this podcast, is the fee in lieu of a security deposit. So we're seeing more and more tenants opt out of a large security deposit in lieu of a fee. Let's do some math. Would you rather pay three grand right now as a security deposit, or would you rather pay 10 bucks a month? Right. You know, everyone's going to say, I'll pay 10 bucks a month or whatever that number is. All right. Those just example numbers out of my thin air. But if that's what you guys have started to train them more and more on. And so not more on, not, they're not morons. <laughs> <laughs> you, you've been, you've been training them more to deal to, with to is it. that they're used to seeing that come in. Yeah. They come mm-hmm. into our leasing system and they're like, Hey, we offer this fee instead of a security deposit. We hate security deposits, right? Honestly, mm-hmm. I'm sure you do too, because they're just full of legal landmines. And so long story short on that whole comment is appreciate you guys training our tenants. They come to us as they start to graduate bigger and bigger. Cause naturally if you're, you know, in a one bedroom or two bedroom and you start having kids and dogs and multiple cars, you're like, well, it's time to get a house. You know, we have more employment, more income. Let's go get a single family home. They look to buy it and the buy it's like, oh my God, are you kidding me? You know, I can't buy it or they're moving to a new market and there's time to graduate and they look to single family homes. So anyway, that's just a long story on that side. No, but what, so, one of the things I'll, I'll add to tell- that is, is um, just before we end here, is, is, is one of the best things I like about buying some certain multifamily is that multifamily, I don't have, not all across all my whole portfolios like this, but we do have a couple of uh, select assets. The one that I mentioned in, in Austin that, that sold for a great multiple, that asset was the you know majority of the people who were leaving that asset were leaving to go buy homes. And so they were breaking their lease and they were paying the lease breakage fee. And it wasn't just delinquency because they were going off to buy a new home. And I, as an owner, I'm like, I want to be that last step to before you go off and buy a home because I know people are going to then come back through the door because they want to take your spot because we're either in a good location or whatever. We have, we have the nice amenities or whatever that might be. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's a good spot to be in just before they go off and, and, and you know, come knocking on your door and say, hey, I want to start renting a single family property from, from you guys. Yeah, we all work well together. And I think the investment opportunity of multifamily is still strong. Uh, I, I do think that's a great way for for residential. Here we are, you know, property management, residential property management, third party managers. And we are also advisors. And so it's okay to advise them to say, you know what, you may want to take a bit of your nest egg and go look at a syndication and look at other syndication opportunities out there. Now, we're seeing that come into our space a little bit with single family. It's not as much. It's just really kind of muddy and complicated. And I've gone full circle doing the research on it. And it's just really kind of weird. I mean, it's the single family to try and package 10 or 20 or 50 of those together and make a syndication is difficult, right? It's very hard to scale. It's very hard to scale. And that's why it's so popular in the multifamily because we can go buy 200 units at once. Trying to go buy 200 houses, it's, it's, it's completely different. So. 
Yeah. Yeah, it is. It's very muddy. It's just not as clean. And so, uh, you know, I've been working with some, some syndicators here in our space, AJ and Chris Shepard, and they've been doing this at the multifamily level. I mean, they operate a single family residential property management company and they do a lot of investment in that space, but they're also very, very good at the, uh, multifamily space, not near as, you know, into it as you are potentially because your website is fantastic. Reedgoosens.com. Definitely encourage everybody to go check you out there because you have books, you have podcasts to listen to. You can learn about that. And then you can also get in touch with Reed about, you know, getting involved with some of his investments. So that was your own commercial. I just did it for you. I did your whole pitch for you right there. Reedgoosens.com. Anything you want to say as we close this out? No, look, I think the only big thing is uh, for those listeners who, who are in the property management space, uh, you know, understanding your client's needs is really, really important as a, as sitting on the other side of the fence. We understand how important you guys are to us. So investing in, in your back end, investing in your systems, investing in good people will only help, you know, future-proof your property management business as a third-party fee-based business in the future to then keep attracting more and more. Because if you do a really good job at property management, you, you'll have people knocking around the doors, clients who come to, who want to manage they want to ma- you to manage for them because no one ever wants to manage people. It's it's a as I said, it's a thankless game. So uh, thank you for everyone that, that all you all you do out there and uh, go in and, and and get rough and tumble with our with our tenants and make sure they pay on time every month. So yeah, Reed, really cool conversation. Thanks again for coming on today. Look Pleasure. forward to seeing you in the future. Be well. All right, good. We got a little pause there at the end. Perfect. Well done, Reed. We get some people that just like check out as soon as we say goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, they hit the leave button and they're gone. But do, yeah, do I'll go back and do a right nice, now? good monologue intro. No, you you're good. It? Yeah, you're good. No, okay. Reed, hang on, man. But we can we can hang on and hold hands and talk about our feelings. I mean, no, we <laughs> where about you based? <laughs> uh, I'm in San Antonio, Texas, oh, nice. and uh, we, we manage San Antonio and Austin. Yeah, we mm-hmm. we manage up in those markets. You know, Austin. You know, honestly. I don't know about Austin sometimes, dude. It's like a weird place. Um, you, you, we manage so, about so 200 you, homes up in that region. Do you know a very good friend of mine who co-wrote the book with me, this one called 10,000 Miles to the American Dream. On the back, Jeremy Heath. There he is right there. Um, he has hmm. – uh, what does Jeremy have? Let me – I'll have to look him up. But he's got single-family homes. Jeremy Heath, San Antonio. What's his company called? Um, it's not coming up now. Oh, here it is. Texas All Cash uh, Home Buyers. The Texas All Cash. Oh, yeah. Dot, yeah, dot yeah, yeah. He's an yeah, I hear him on the radio all the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So he's a good one. Yeah, he's he advertises on twelve hundred all the time, which is WOI, which is a AM radio, like talk radio, conservative talk radio, and he's on there all the time and he's got the distinct um, voice, obviously the accent from being Australian. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, it's really interesting. Okay. That's, that's one of your pals. That's really cool. Uh, he does good, a good man. job around here. He's, he's, he's one of those dudes that buys ugly houses, as they say, you know, the old franchise thing. And so it's yep. interesting that you're, you know, him pretty well. Yeah, no, we, we, we've been mates for for a while and we co-wrote a book together. So um, yeah, well, um, hope this has been great, uh, boys. I've got to jump to some other stuff, but uh, let's let's keep in touch. Let me know when it goes live and uh, I'll, I'll promote it across uh, my, all my platforms. 
Resident Interface is a comprehensive delinquency management solution for property management companies that serve rental properties with over 500 units located in Florida, Georgia, Maryland, and Texas. Resident Interface offers property owners and managers a financially transformative end-to-end -end delinquency management experience. We're a single contact responsible for the entire process from late payment to eviction management and final debt collection. And we help increase net operating income through technological innovation, operational transparency, and respectful recovery procedures. Learn more today at ResidentInterface.com. This has been a podcast episode by PropertyManagementProductions.com. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast, leave us feedback, and come back for our next episode.